Hey folks, it's Andy, the analytical preacher again with part three of our bigotry, racism, and discrimination podcast. Such an important topic. I wanted to make sure we gave it the complete coverage that it was due. I had mentioned in the first two podcasts that in this final podcast, I was going to break down a couple of things. I was going to look at the story of the Good Samaritan told by Jesus to really understand that story and pull the lessons from it. And we also talked a little bit in the last podcast about stereotyping, about assigning the actions of one bad person in a group to that entire group. And I said I was going to bring that uh, to the forefront a little bit more in this podcast as well. I'm actually going to start with the stereotyping issue because we need to really understand that, I think, to fully understand the story of the Good Samaritan. So I was speaking before in the previous podcast, part two, that this idea of bigotry and discrimination, it really comes from within us. And Jesus doesn't want us to blame anyone else when we do something like He just needs us to say, I did that. It was wrong. I'm not going to blame any outside person or force. However, outside forces can tend to uh, exacerbate or amplify that issue. And again, one of those is when not only us, but those around us begin to assign the actions of one bad actor to an entire group within any group of people, whether it's Christians, whether it's Cubans, whether it's whatever, there's going to be someone that's going to do wrong. And then the question is, do we see that person as a standalone individual who did wrong because they chose to do wrong? Or do we blanket the entire group with that action? Stereotyping in that sense, in one way, it's related to a function of our brain that sort of does serve a purpose. Um, let's say, for example, that I see a, a dog, a Rottweiler, coming at me, and he's barking, and he's growling, and he's running toward me, and he bites me, he attacks me. Well, the next time I see a Rottweiler coming at me, barking and growling, my defenses are automatically going to be up. If there's anything I can do to get out of that situation, I'm going to do it. Maybe it's not just a Rottweiler. Maybe it's any dog or any dog of any size. If the dog is barking, if the dog is running towards me, if the dog is growling, I'm going to see that as a warning sign. The problem, of course, happens when my brain takes that in the wrong direction. I see a smaller dog. He's sitting down or he's standing up, but his tail is wagging and all this kind of stuff. And I still see it as a threat. The real problem with stereotyping and bigotry is we don't even have to have been, quote unquote, attacked by the dog. Bigotry tells us that person is different from me. So I'm cautious about that. They look different. They speak different. They act different than me. So I'm automatically cautious about them. And now I'm going to kind of say anytime I encounter anyone in that group who looks like that, talks like that, acts like that. I'm going to kind of assume the worst about them. And so it's it's easy to take something that in theory could be used for our benefit and sort of let it get out of control. I mean, examples are, are obvious. There was a disturbed young man from South Korea in 2007. He went on the Virginia Tech campus and he killed 33 people, an absolute um, tragedy that devastated not just that campus, but that entire community and the families of all of those individuals involved. It's possible that we say, especially if we don't know anyone who's South Korean, well, then Koreans must be bad. 
They must be aggressive. They must be angry people. They must be. That's an absolutely, totally inappropriate thing to think or to say. It's it's the wrong conclusion to draw, but stereotyping will do that. More recently in Uvalde, Texas, a shooter went in to an elementary school, killed a number of individuals. As I recall, the young man was Latino. So again, stereotyping would say, well, then all Latinos are murderers. No, that's not true. Stereotyping is bad. Or we could say, I remember seeing the video of Derek Chauvin killing George Floyd right on the street in Minneapolis. People were watching. People were filming. Other police officers were there. And there Derek Chauvin kneeled on George Floyd's neck until Mr. Floyd was dead. Murdered him on a public street in Minneapolis. All cops must be bad. All cops must be murderers. Clearly, that's not the case. So we we have to be careful with stereotyping. You know, I saw something after the Derek Chauvin thing, just to keep pulling on that example. I read an article, a journalist, and, and um, the woman's last name was Guzman. And she wrote a police officer had been killed in the line of duty in New York. And if you want to say Derek Chauvin is a murderer, Derek Chauvin deserves the death penalty. I don't have a problem with any of those things. Derek Chauvin was convicted of murder. And and frankly, if it had been in, um, say, Texas or Alabama, as opposed to Minnesota, Derek Chauvin would have probably been given the death penalty. But this, this uh, journalist, after this police officer was killed, she said, and I quote, for probably doing his job incorrectly. Why would you assume that a police officer was doing uh, their job incorrectly? She said, because uh, the, the funeral procession went through downtown Manhattan, she's asked, and I quote, well, what if somebody's having a heart attack in that area? She also said uh, about the police that they, quote unquote, kill people under 22 years old every day for no good reason. There's no way to assign that other than to say that straight stereotypical bigotry. And so again, if if the young man that breaks into your neighbor's car was a black kid or was a Latino or was a Jew or was a Korean or was a white guy, then it's wrong to say, oh, well, then all people of that description must be criminals because the one that broke in my neighbor's car was that. Just like it's wrong for a reporter to say, well, the cop was doing his job incorrectly and they kill people all the time. And just because Derek Chauvin is a murderer does not mean that all cops are murderers. So we have to be careful. In today's world, we see stereotyping infect a lot of our thoughts, our actions, and really infect a lot of our political conversations. I would warn us all to be very careful of that. But what I really wanted to do was just define the stereotype and kind of give us a sense of it. Now I want to read the story of the Good Samaritan from start to finish so that we can kind of understand how stereotyping was playing an issue here and how Jesus responded to it. The story of the Good Samaritan is found in the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament, chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 25. It says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Here's the key. But he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, 
And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jericho, I'm sorry, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think Prove to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers, Jesus asked. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to the lawyer, you go and do likewise. Wow, there is some powerful, beautiful lessons uh, baked into here. Let me step back before we step forward. In Jesus' time, in the time when this was spoken, the Jews were living under what's called the Old Testament law of Moses. And the two most important laws every rabbi agreed were the two laws that the lawyer repeated to Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, Deuteronomy 6. And then there were two versions, if you will, of this Love your neighbor as yourself, which was the second most important thing in the law. Both of them in Leviticus chapter 19 in the Old Testament. Let me read the two portions to you. Leviticus 19.18 says this, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Leviticus 19.34, same chapter, few verses later, say this, You shall treat the stranger, the immigrant, the foreigner, who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. I am the Lord your God. Here's what was happening. The lawyer was saying, I know the most important commandment is to love God with everything I've got. The second most important commandment, I want to justify. Remember, I said that's what it turned on. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, "Mm, who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, "Mm, let me answer that question. You want to say it's 1918. It's the sons of your own people. It's the Hebrews. It's the same race as you. I'm telling you, it's not. Leviticus 19.34 was put in there for a reason. And you shall treat foreigners and strangers and those immigrants who sojourn with you as the native among you. You're to treat other races the same as you would treat your own race and you're to love them as yourself. I am the Lord your God. God told Moses to write in Leviticus. Jesus was saying, let me answer your question. The answer is both. Who is My neighbor, the man said, I want to justify my belief and I want you to publicly affirm my belief that it's 1918 that holds, that my neighbor are just those in my racial cohort. Jesus said, no, 
That road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a, a kind of a steep road. Um, it, it, it sort of wind around, uh, and it was notorious actually in that day for attacks and for robberies. And so when Jesus began the story that way, everybody would have said, oh yeah, we know exactly what you're talking about. Uncle Bud had trouble on that road once. Uh, turned a corner, went down the hill, and nobody else was around, and the robbers jumped out from behind a rock and blah, blah, blah. So it's a very common, real story to the people when Jesus was telling it that this man got attacked. The man who got attacked was a Jew. The same race, by the way, as Jesus and the lawyer. So Jesus was a Jew. The lawyer was a Jew. The man in the story who got attacked was also a Jew. The first two people that passed by were Jewish individuals and Jewish individuals, a priest and a Levite, who should have known to help a fellow Jew or a fellow human in need, even though they knew and were sort of religiously obligated to help, it still says they just passed by on the other side. Jesus used a Samaritan in this story for very obvious reasons. The Jews and the Samaritans had some religious and political differences among them, but the biggest difference was an ethnic racial difference. The Jews and the Samaritans mutually despised one another. The Jewish people referred to the Samaritans as either traitors or half-breeds. So that gives you some idea of what they thought about them, traitors or half-breeds. Jesus' point was simply this. You have become so inflamed with stereotypical bigotry that you can't even imagine. You think that all Samaritans are so bad, so corrupt would be the word they would have used in those days. You think that trading half-breed is so corrupt. You can't even imagine that God on high would tell you, treat that person as a neighbor. And you think that Jewish people are so good just by virtue of the fact that they were born Jewish, you have a hard time seeing them in a negative light. Your stereotyping is literally defining your entire life. Your stereotypical bigotry is literally defining. And so Jesus said, let me put a story in front of you and force you to think in a different way. Let me force you to think that all Jews, and especially those of elevated categories like priests and Levites, let me pull out of your mind the option that they're all great, perfect people. And let me especially pull out of your heart this idea that this trading half-breed that you despise and who you just assume would despise you and all of your Jewish brothers, let me pull out of your heart that hatred and just paint you a really quick picture of someone of your race in need and someone of that race being one that not only stopped to say, hey, bud, you okay, but that actually stopped, used the best medicine of the day, and then took the person, got them lodging, paid for them. Jesus is going to an extreme to say two races that despise each other, and this guy bent over backwards to be a neighbor to someone of a different race. That's the lesson of that story. That's the lesson of this parable is that we cannot let racial differences and especially the stereotypes that we have going into a situation. Jesus would say, we need to judge each person. 
MLK said it, right? King said, judge them by the content of their character. Give each person the opportunity to be judged by the content of their character. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. There's two reasons I believe that Jesus structured the story this way, because in this story, the minority was the one who acted like the neighbor. The minority who no doubt in his life, a Samaritan in Palestine, in that time, would have known of bigotry and discrimination coming from the Jews, coming from the Romans. They would have been a suppressed minority. So Jesus is saying, I want to make this minority the good guy in this story. And I think one minor reason that he did it, there's a, there's a chance that we could misread the story and say, oh, we get it, Jesus. What you're telling us is, if the Samaritan had been hurt and the Jewish individual had helped him out, we might say, oh, so, okay, so we see. So when we're in the majority and we're superior to other people, we should have pity on them because they're pitiful and we should help them out if it's not too inconvenient. For, no, Jesus, like, that's not what I'm saying at all. You're not superior. You're equal to this person. You're both individuals made in God's image. So he had the minority play the good guy instead of so that there's no chance we could think, yes, we should show pity to those we're superior to. Not going to work that way. But here's the major reason that I believe Jesus structured this story this way. And it's simply this. Jesus is reminding us, even when you have been discriminated against, even when you have had to personally face bigotry, as again, no doubt a Samaritan in that day on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho would have had faced. Jesus is saying, even when you've been in the minority, you do not return evil for evil. You don't return mistreatment for mistreatment. The Bible from almost its first page until its last page begs humanity, break the cycle, stop the chain, right? When in the South, we used to talk about feuds among families and the families could never remember what the feud was about. They just knew those guys, that side fired the last shot. So we can't drop it now because they would quote unquote win. So we have to fire a shot. But once we fire a shot, then that family feels like they have to fire a shot. And the Bible, one of the main lessons that we take from scripture and one of the things that Jesus begged his followers to understand and implement is break the cycle. You be the one that snaps the chain of revenge. And so one of the lessons that we take from the Good Samaritan is the Bible does tell us Leviticus 19.34 and Colossians 3.11 and on and on it is that we are to treat everyone who's like us and everyone who's different from us as a neighbor, as a brother and sister, and we're to love them and care for them when the opportunity arises. We are not to allow stereotypical thoughts to take over our mind. And even if we've had trouble with one person from this country or that speaks that language, we're not to put that negative blanket across everybody else. And Jesus is telling us not only is racism wrong, but revenge is wrong as well. And if you really want to be a child of God, if you really want to be the first in the kingdom of God, then you be the Samaritan. You take the bigotry and you don't return 
revenge in its place. You break the chain and you break the cycle. And I believe that's one of the uh, primary lessons other than the anti-racism lesson that we take from the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. All right, folks, that is the end of our three series podcast on bigotry, discrimination, and racism. Any questions, uh, contact me and let me know. Happy to answer them. Otherwise, until the next podcast, this is Andy.